Welcome to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. At Trinity Grace Church, our mission is to help New Yorkers grow in love by practicing the way of Jesus for the good of our city. If you're interested in Trinity Grace Church Tribeca, check out our website at tgctribeca.com where you can learn more about us and learn about ways that you can help support our church and this podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to see and hear what's going on in our community. Thank you for joining us today and welcome grace and peace to you. afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom sell your possessions and give to the poor provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had not known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The Gospel of our Lord. Good morning. I know Michael stands still, but I can't quite do that, so I'm going to handle this. Thanks, Jeremy, for the introduction. I was here a couple years ago, as he said, what happened was that morning before the service, I was planning to come anyway, but that morning before service, Michael called me and said that he was deathly ill and he needed me to speak. I hadn't prepared anything at all, and so I just got up and talked, and Jeremy loved that, which means today is going to go really badly, because I've known about this for like 10 days, so way over prepared for this. No, it is, it's great to be here again at Trinity Grace, and I love any chance to escape summer heat in Florida, and so thank you for that as well. Let's pray, and, and we'll start. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the word you speak to us, the word of life. God, I pray that we can hear it as you intend it to be heard, and live it as you want it to be lived for our good and the good of those around us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the gospel text today opens with what I think is God's first word to all of us. It's, it's the word that God wants us all to know before we know anything else, and that is, do not be afraid. We see God saying this again and again, and Jesus again and again to his disciples in all kinds of circumstances. But I think until we've learned that that is God's most 
basic desire for us, that beyond everything else, before everything else, that God wants for us. He wants us not to be afraid. Which, of course, is, is double-sided, because it means, first, that he comes to us and we're already afraid. I think that is part of what it means to be a human being in this world. Like, even before we are self-conscious, even as, as babies, fear is there for us. And as we become self-conscious, our fear just grows. It broadens and deepens. And as we become adults, new fears come to us, and old fears come to us in new ways. And so God's intersection into our life, his first word to us, the word he wants us to learn before we learn anything else, is that we do not have to be afraid. Jesus says this to his disciples. He has just told them not to worry about anything. He says, it doesn't do you any good to worry anyway. Not a, not a one of you can add anything to your height or anything to the length of your life. So don't worry about it. God provides for the birds. He'll provide for you. Do not be afraid. So he, he means specifically here, don't be afraid about what you're going to make of your own life. And I think those of us who, who reach adulthood and who become, I'm not much of an adult, actually. I'm, I'm really low-functioning adult, but I'm married to a high-functioning adult. And so I have a career and I'm alive. But all of us who reach adulthood, whether we're low or high-functioning, we, we have this fear, I think, that we're not going to make enough of our lives, that we're not going to, to matter in the way that we should. And Jesus' word to us, again, is do not be afraid. Because ultimately, our lives are not what we make of them, but what God is making of them in, in ways we can't quite track yet. So do not be afraid. And he even calls them little flock, a kind of term of endearment. Little, little flock, little children, don't, don't be afraid. I'm making your life. And I think that before he says all that he's going to say, he needs them to understand that there's nothing to fear. Even though they are weak, and even though they are frail, and even though they are ultimately powerless to make their lives what they want it to be, want them to be, they are not to be afraid. And I think that's the kind of sober estimate we should have of our own lives. Yes, we're weak. Yes, we're frail. Yes, we're ultimately powerless to make our lives what we want them to be, but we do not have to be afraid because God, who's our creator and the one who's going to consummate our lives, is, is securing us, is holding us. And then Jesus says to them, it is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. I think that sometimes, depending on how you're raised and, and what part of the world you're raised in, we can, we can imagine God as, as kind of an infinite ego, an infinite center of need, and that we've been created to meet that infinite need, that we exist because God needs worship or because God needs love or because God needs obedience. But at the heart of the Christian faith is a denial of that idea altogether. And at the heart of the Christian faith is the belief that God's life is nothing but gift. That the reason there is anything rather than nothing is that God's life overflows. One theologian put it like this. It's as if the father looked at the son before there was anything and said, we're having such a good time, we really should let some other people in on this. Right? It's, it's that kind of overflow, that kind of delight. God's life is gift. In fact, Paul will say that creation is a gift from the Father to the Son. All things are made in Christ and for Christ. And that Christ reigns until he has perfected that creation, brought it to its fullness, and then he gives it to the Father so that everything that exists exists as an exchange of gift. 
from the Father to the Son. That it exists in the Spirit. And so you and I exist because God is gifting life to us. So God is not only not an infinite need, God is infinite not need. God is infinite gift. There's nothing I can offer to God that God needs. Not my worship, not my love, not my devotion, not my obedience, not my faith. There's nothing that he needs from me. Everything he has is gift for me. And so Jesus says to his disciples, do not be afraid. Don't worry about your life. It is your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, kingdom speech, we need to be careful with that because it's, it's so easy for, for that to become a kind of cliched term where we don't know what we mean when we say the kingdom. But this is, this is what scripture means. When it talks about the kingdom, it simply means creation at full flourishing. So the kingdom of God is just shorthand. It's just a, a kind of stand-in phrase to refer to everything being brought into its fullness. Where, as Paul will say it, God is everything in everything. God is all in all. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples is don't be afraid because your father's desire, what your father wants more than anything else, is to give you your life and all life in its fullness. He wants you to have abundance, infinite abundance of life. That's what God wants. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. God wants for you and for me the fullness of life. I think we have to settle into that. We have to relax, rest in knowing that God's life is gift and that he, what he wants to give us is fullness of life. All of us equally, everywhere, for always. That's what God desires for us. But then our passage takes a kind of strange turn. Jesus, having just said, do not be afraid, and having just said, God wants to give you the kingdom, says, so sell everything you have and give alms. But Jesus was a strange cat. I don't know if you know that or not. Like, there are some of us who are raised, especially if you're raised in the Midwest, I think, you're raised to think of Jesus as kind of a good old boy, right? He's, he wears Wranglers and boots, drives a Ford pickup, and just says what he means and means what he says, right? But, in fact, that's not at all true, right? The Jesus of the Gospels is, is very strange, and nobody ever understands what he's talking about. The people who think, he, think they know what he's talking about, they have two responses. One is, oh, hell no, you're not going to say that, and they try to kill him. The other people think they understand what he's saying, and they try to kill other people. So that, that's basically how Jesus is heard. I'm hoping for something a little better this morning. I'm not Jesus. So... Jesus is never understood, and it's because of things like this. I mean, if, if you, you know, Peter at one point takes Jesus aside and tries to set him straight. So if, if, if you have a degree in communications, you could take Jesus aside and say, you know, maybe just stop after saying you want to give. God wants to give everything. Like, just end there. Why go on and say, sell everything and give alms? But, but here, here is the truth that Jesus comes to reveal. That human life reaches its fullness only as it's being emptied. There's a saying of Jesus. It's not in the Gospels. It's actually only in the book of Acts. But it's a saying of Jesus, and it runs like this. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that one saying encapsulates so much of what Jesus believes it means to be human. That there is greater happiness, there's greater fulfillment, there's fullness in giving, not in receiving. That you are meant to be a source of life, not the focus of other people's service. 
Just like God is not a center of need, you're not a center of need. Just like God is a source of life, you are a source of life. Life comes from you, not just to you. You are not supposed to live, I'm not supposed to live, from craving, from demand, but from gift, just as God is, because God is alive in me, and I'm made in his image. And so Jesus tells the disciples to sell and give alms because he's trying to show them this is the way that fullness will come. This is one of the ironies of the kingdom, that the only way that God can get his fullness to you is by you giving of your own fullness to others. In the Lord's Prayer, we say often, I'm sure you say it here quite often as well, we say, forgive us, God, as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And there's a way of hearing that that would just be terribly wrong, and that is that God only forgives us if we are forgiving others. I heard a preacher once in the Midwest again that there's a vat in heaven, a giant vat, he said, and each time you forgive someone, I, I couldn't make this up. I'm not creative enough for this. There's a giant vat in heaven. The good thing is he, he had several thousand people in the room when he said this. So his influence is low, right? But he's, he says there's a giant vat in heaven filled with all of these tokens that signify that you've forgiven someone. And then when you do wrong, you know, when you drink too much or say a really bad curse word or watch a movie you shouldn't watch, then you can go to God and ask for forgiveness. And God will go over to the vat and look in. And if you've got a token, good for you. You can be forgiven. But if you don't have a token, yeah, you're in trouble, I guess. That's not what Jesus means. I don't think I needed to clarify that. That's not what Jesus means, right? He's not saying, God, forgive us after we've forgiven others. What he's saying is, God, we will only be able to receive your forgiveness if we are learning to live with it ourselves. Like, if you won't forgive anyone else, you can't really believe that God would forgive you. If you never turn and live a life of gift, you'll never be able to recognize that God's life to you is a life of gift. So we don't forgive others. We don't give charitably. We don't speak words of kindness. We don't stand up for those who are abused so that God will bless us. We do that because that is God's blessing taking shape in our life. That's how we're coming aware of the ways in which God speaks life over us and ways in which God rallies to us in, in our need, the ways in which God sings over us with joy. And so Jesus wants to stress to his disciples, if you want the fullness God has for you, empty your life out. And then he says, and the only way to do that is to live with a certain kind of attention. In Jesus' phrasing, his idiom, it was, keep your lamps burning which is Aramaic for be woke. You can trust me, I'm a scholar. That, that's that's it's true. Keep your lamps burning. He says, be like servants who are waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, meaning he's blasted. Waiting for him to get home so you can get him through the door, get him washed up, and get him to bed because he's not going to remember any of this in the morning. Right? That's, that's what Jesus has in mind. He's coming back from a feast, and you're waiting to make sure he gets in safely. Live with that kind of attention. Be woke. I think there are two kinds of wokeness that we need to talk about, and they belong together. They should be inseparably held together. One is what I'm going to call suspicion, that to be woke, to, to have your lamp always burning, 
is to be suspicious about the way things appear. Too many Christians, and I'm sure you know this from experience yourself, too many Christians practice a kind of childish naivete. They don't really see what's right in front of them. They're too polite to be honest about their own life or the life of the world that's happening around them. In many places, to be Christian is to just be socialized into niceness. And this is especially true in the Midwest. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it's, true, it's true broadly, right? It's true perhaps most of all in white middle-class churches, but not only there. Like Christians are socialized to be nice, to be polite, to watch our mouths, not to hurt anyone's feelings. And if that's how you've been shaped, then you can't really do what Jesus says, which is live with attention, because things are not what they should be. There are some things that should make you angry, and if you're not angered by them, there's something wrong. Something has been twisted in you so that you're not angry when you should be. Or you might be angry when you shouldn't be. And again, that's a sign that something in your humanity has been wicked. It's been twisted. It's been turned against itself. So we have to live with this kind of awareness that things are not what they should be. But we also, and this is just as important, we have to live not only with suspicion, we also have to live with charity. We have to not only see the ugly truth that's right in front of us, we have to see the beauty that's possible. And this, I think, is critical. If you become one of, if you, if you only have one kind of wokeness, if all you can see is what's wrong with the world, then you become a source of negative radiation. Like you, you destroy life around you because all that you're radiating is that negativity. All that you're radiating, all that you're giving off is not life, but your awareness of death. Now, again, hear me carefully. We have to be suspicious. Don't be naive. Be childlike. Don't be childish. But you have to be more than suspicious. You have to be charitable. You have to be attuned to beauty. You have to see beauty, too, when it's in front of you. I think there's the story of Pilate, so you, you know the story. Jesus is brought before Pilate. Pilate is the man with the last word on Jesus' life. And it ends badly. I mean, Pilate turns him over to be crucified, washes his hands of it. But there's a line in the gospel story about Pilate. He keeps saying about Jesus, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. And I was reading the story recently and it struck me suddenly that that's the problem with wokeness that's all suspicion. You only know how to look for fault. So Pilate is woke. He knows things are not what they seem to be. But he doesn't have the work of the Spirit of God in him to make him attentive to beauty. He can only see the ugly truth. So when the beauty is standing in front of him, all he can see is that there's not ugliness. He can't see the beauty itself. And I don't want for myself or for you or for anyone, I don't want us to live with that kind of wokeness. I don't want us to only see the ugly truth. I want us to also see the beauty, and both about our past and about the future. That we have to remember our past in ways that tells the truth, however hard that is, but also sees that in the midst of that difficulty, God was at work, good was taking place. That it might have been a desert, but there were streams in that desert. That it might have been dark, but there were stars in the sky. That that person might have betrayed me, but that led to new relationships. However you're going to interpret it, you have to tell the whole truth about your life, but see the beauty in that truth as well. I, I met a woman once who was telling me her story, and essentially there was one part of it that kind of arrested me, and I, and I live with it. I think about it often. 
she had a dear friend who had a child pretty late in life. And she, the woman who had had the child late in life, was in the hospital about to deliver her youngest child. In the same hospital was her oldest child, a son, who was dying of cancer. And one day, this woman who was talking with me said, I was there and I saw her cradling her son, who was dying of cancer, holding his face up against her belly, where he could feel his brother kicking in his mom's womb. That is what it means to live a truly woke life. You hold the dying so they can feel the kicking life that's coming. The last thing we need are people who only hold the dying because we're people of resurrection. We are people of of Good Friday. We are people who face death. We are people who acknowledge the truth about our lives. But we're not only telling the truth. We're also telling the truth beautifully. We're also talking about Easter, not just Good Friday. We have to hold the dying up against the womb where they can feel the baby kicking. And then Jesus says to them, if you live with that kind of attention, the thief will not be able to steal from you. And I think this is so critical. I think the natural human response is to live defensively, to live so that no one takes advantage of you. But what Jesus reveals is that to be human, to be, to be brought into your fullness, is to live attentive for every opportunity to care for those in need. And if you do that, if you live with attention that notices every time opportunity knocks, every time someone is there and you have a chance to speak life to them, you have a chance to show them beauty, if you live with that kind of attention, then the thief will never be able to break in and steal from you. It's just the opposite of what we would instinctually think. It's not that I need to live defensively, back on my heels with my hands up so I don't get punched. It's if I live with my arms open and my eyes open, looking for need, then whoever comes at me, even if they intend to be my enemy, they're a friend, and I can embrace them in that way. I'm almost done. Everybody okay? It's hot up here. Reminds me of home. So we have to be woke, but we have to be woke in this, this integrated way that is beautiful and truthful. And we have to nurture spirituality that allows for that. I think one of the things that is striking to me about the Psalms, there are 150 Psalms in our Bible. More than half of them are lament or protest Psalms. More than half of them are Psalms that say, God, this isn't right. You're not doing what you should do. And then roughly half of them are praise Psalms. That seems right to me. But I'm in a lot of churches. We don't have that kind of ratio in our prayers and in our songs and in our sermons. I think we're afraid to lament. We're afraid to protest. We're afraid to challenge God. But you can't really be praising if you're not also lamenting when it's time to lament. But again, you can't be someone who's truly lamenting if you don't know how to praise when it's time to praise. You know, there's a Christian year. We, we pass through seasons, Advent into Christmas, all the way through Lent, into Holy Week, into Pentecost. And if we're not careful, we will settle into spirituality that fixates in one of those seasons. You might have a Pentecost spirituality that is 
all, I don't know if you've ever been to a classical, old school, fa- old fashioned Pentecostal church where you know everything is turned up past the point of acceptability, right? Everyone is screaming. Like right now at this point, there would be someone on the keyboard, and I would be jumping up and down, right? And there would be a couple of armor bearers. If you don't know what that means, count your blessings. Armor bearers behind me, like mopping the sweat off my face. Like the energy is just, it's like rock concert up a notch, right? There's, there's that kind of energy, but that's not all that it means to be human. And if you try to approximate that every time, if you try to artificially create that kind of energy every time, you're going to kill your humanity. You're going to kill yourself. But there are other churches I've been in that, like, I've been to funerals with more life than these services have, right? And I don't just mean that they're quiet. I mean, they're, they're, they're constantly singing a dirge. Like, it's, it's the only thing they see is darkness. Hello, darkness, my old friend, my only friend, right? And you can't live in Lent either. The human life is, in fact, so complex that all of us, in some parts of our life, are in Lent, and in other parts of our life, are in Pentecost. Right now, this morning, there are things about your life that you should rejoice about and celebrate, and there are things about your life that we should lament and protest, and we need to live with that kind of integration. All right, two minutes, and I'll shut up. I only get to come, like, every couple of years, so I've got to make the most of it. The last thing Jesus says, though, I think is the most important thing. And that is, if you live with that kind of attentiveness, when God does show up, he's going to do something that you never expected. We thought he was drunk. We thought he was going to come home and fall asleep, and we were going to have to pull his boots off and his wranglers. That was a callback, too. I thought that was going to work better than it did. That did not go over at all. But we, we thought that he was going to show up and we were going to have to help him. But he says, Jesus says, if you live like that, if you live with that kind of attentiveness, when the master comes, he, in the middle of the night, will get dressed and serve you. Like his response to you trying to serve him is to say, no, 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 that's not what this relationship is about. And this, and here I'm just, I'm just telling you where, where I am right now in my, my kind of my relation to God, I think I'm finally realizing that I've been trying to serve a God who actually is trying to serve me, and I'm fighting it because all I know is how to serve, but I don't know how to receive service. Now, hear me, hear me here so you don't, I mean, on the day of Pentecost, you know, there's this experience where they speak and everyone, they speak in tongues, and everyone hears in their own language. I have the opposite gift. Like, I'm speaking English, which all of you speak, but I have no idea what you're hearing right now. Like, I have no idea what's coming through to you. I, I think there's a way in which talking about serving God is right. But there's also a way in which serving God can become burdensome and can become actually egocentric where we start to think that God and neighbor depend upon us coming through and doing what we do. And at that point, it's become diseased. So here's, here's what I want to leave you with. I said two minutes, but that turns out to have been a lie. I, two more minutes. I'll leave you with this. There are two stories in the Gospels that I just I can't stop thinking about them and how they relate to each other. The first one is Jesus' baptism. J- Jesus comes to ba- be baptized. John the Baptist is, is baptizing And when he comes up to the water, John the Baptist says, no, I will not baptize you. That's for you to do to me. The greater 
should baptize the lesser. And Jesus says, you don't understand what you're saying. You have to baptize me to fulfill God's justice. In other words, Jesus is challenging that very notion of greater and lesser, superiority and inferiority. And he's saying, you don't understand how service works. When God's life is all gift, God doesn't have servants. He has friends, he has family, but he doesn't have slaves because God's not ever in need. And John the Baptist is still serving God as if God needs his service. And Jesus says, no, 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 baptize me. That's, that's what I need. And then at the end of Jesus' life, just a couple of days before he's dead, he's in a room with his disciples and he just washes their feet, or tries to. And Peter, who was from the Midwest, see? These things do not work on you guys at all. I didn't script them. I'm, I mean, they're just coming to me now, but they're not working at all. I'll remember that for next time. But he comes to Peter to wash his feet, and Peter's like, no, it's not right for you to wash my feet. I should wash yours. You're the master. I'm the servant. And Jesus says, you don't understand. That's not how my relationship to you works. Now, here's what shocks me about those two stories. Do you know what happens immediately after to both of those men? They lose faith. The very next time we see John the Baptist, he's in prison, and he's saying, are you really the one? And Peter, we know what happens. He leaves that room, and he denies Christ. Because here's, I think, the truth. If you really believe down in your bones that God needs your service, it will burn you out. You can't live that. You're not meant to live that way. And that's not who God is anyway. God's life is gift. And God is saying to some of us, maybe all of us, stop trying to do to me what I'm trying to do for you. Learn to live and serve your neighbor. But understand, every time you try to do something good for your neighbor, it'll turn out that God is just doing something good for you. I have a good friend on his 30th birthday. He was at home. His wife had convinced him that they would just, the two of them would take some time alone. And he gets a call from his pastor. And his pastor says, hey, Bill, the church is flooded. And I really need your help. It's an emergency. And Bill's like, yeah, I'm with my wife. It's my 30th birthday. Maybe you can call somebody else. And he's like, no, really, I, I need you to come. And so Bill took up his cross, turned the other cheek, went the extra mile, showed up at church. And you know how this story ends, right? It's a surprise party. And the place is jammed with Bill's friends and family. And his wife had orchestrated all of this. But that story encapsulates and encaptures, which isn't a word, to me the way God wants to relate to us, which is he calls us to do something. And we get up off the couch grumbling, thinking, it's my birthday. But okay, God requires it, so I'll do it. And then you get there, and you realize God's been setting you up for a surprise all along. Because remember this, all God wants is to give you fullness. And even if you don't live with attention, he'll get it to you. Even if you're kicking and screaming, he's that relentless. He's that good. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Trinity Grace Church Tribeca podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. And please take time to rate and review. And of course, we couldn't do this without your support. So if you would like to make a donation, you can text TGC Tribeca to 77977. That's TGC Tribeca to 77977. And your support is very much appreciated. Grace and peace to you.